All right, so Philippians 1. We're still in Philippians 1, but I love it because we're going in depth. It's, it's, all of Paul's epistles are short, but powerful. And not just Paul's. James is probably one of the shortest ones, and it's probably one of the most powerful ones. Um, if we were going over maybe the law, it would, it, it would be um, a little easier to, to, to go through it, or like the numbers, but... The epistles we know are filled with doctrine. The whole Bible is edifies us, but we're going in depth just because we don't want to miss miss um, anything. But um, it's so crazy because a lot of things that Sarah was saying actually, I wasn't even thinking of, about her situation or what she was going to share. I totally forgot. I was just like writing my study, and and a lot of things that she said is actually what I wrote in my notes. So it's pretty cool. So that's all the Lord. So we're going to start, and well, before we get into the text. Um, I just wanted to remind you, ladies, just so far, what we've been going over in Philippians so far, um, just a recap, that um, we know that Paul has been imprisoned, and his circumstances on the outside to others, it may have seemed graven, and we know the church, and, you know, mourns for him, and everybody's worried, and Maybe he may have even been worried for a second, maybe, but we see that he says himself in this epistle, as we read in chapter 1, that he said it was actually for the furtherance of the gospel. So he, he stated that himself, and it's all part of God's divine plan. Just as Sarah also said, it doesn't matter what we go through, and um, God has a plan through it, through it all. Even if it doesn't make sense to us or we don't understand like she said, she's like, God, I know you can heal me, but you're not healing me. Why? So we know we could trust. If we have intimacy with him, we know that we could trust his sovereignty. And, and that's why Paul was able to rejoice no matter what came his way. And we know the theme of Philippians has been joy and rejoicing in the midst of um, sufferings. But we keep saying suffering, but you see all throughout the epistle, Paul seems, he seems very joyful. So it, it's just something we could cling to, and also because of God's sovereignty and control of all things, we know that nothing is a surprise to him where he has to have a plan. Say Paul gets arrested and, well, he's been arrested many times but and beaten, but there could maybe have been a time where God was like, oh, I didn't expect he was actually going to get beat in this specific city. So no, nothing is a surprise to him. And he already knew before the foundations of the world, God's outside of time, it's good to know his attributes, his character, and that's what also, and not only knowing the word, as I said, building that relationship with him builds our trust in him, but it's also knowing who he is, his attributes. He's outside of time. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. So nothing is ever a surprise to God, and as we could apply it to our lives, nothing we go through is a surprise to him when we worry or how am I going to pay this next bill or this and that and, and God knows already and he's already at the end of it because he's outside of time he's in the future the past and the present so that's just a quick recap and before we head into the text I wanted to reference Psalm 139.12 um, the psalmist says indeed the darkness shall not hide from you but the night shines as the day the darkness and the light are both alike to you. So, as I said, nothing is a surprise to God. It's, I love that verse because there's no darkness. There's no darkness in God, as John tells us. But it's so cool that, as we said, God doesn't worry. Yes, there's evil in the world, but to him, 
It's all alike, and it cannot hide from him. Just as David says, where can I go from your spirit? In that same song, he says, even if I, I lay down the depths of hell, like surely you are there. He can't escape God. So the righteous and the wicked, they can't escape God. And so to God, it's the same. And he's sovereign. He's in control. So we, we never need to worry. As it's, it's not a big, If it's not a big deal to God, we could rest that we just leave it at his hands, and we don't have to worry about it. So easier said than done, right? But <laughs> the more we, we know these promises, we could, it gives us comfort. So we're going to start at verse 14. So Philippians 1, 14. And most of, we're going to read straight through the text before we go through the verses. So we're going to start at 14 and finish at, I'm sorry, not 14, 19. We're going to start at 19 and we're going to finish at, 26. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So, verse 19, as we see here that... He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We can highlight intercessory prayer. Um, we saw at the beginning of the epistle and something we could take from this epistle, um, how we talked about Job, how he also prayed for his friends, and Paul prayed for the Philippian church and in the midst of his sufferings. And we saw that God does something in that. When we're suffering, the last thing we want to do is probably Think of others and pray for others, but we see all throughout the word that something special happens and, and God blesses it. And, and it's, it's just awesome that we could do that. And Paul himself, he believed, he was a strong believer of intercessory prayer because he, he saw it. He saw the answered prayers all throughout his ministry and, and maybe even hearing from the disciples, as we know, he joined, he joined later on when the disciples had already seen Jesus ascend back into heaven. And so... They probably caught him up on everything and, and just hearing their stories of all the miracles God did before um, Paul got saved. And so he's a firm believer in that. So how much more we should, as his example, that he, he was closer to the Lord and the early church that they, they had more, not just the scriptures, but um, traditions and sayings of Jesus that, as we know, John wrote that if it were written down, all the books couldn't contain it. So... It's awesome that he, he knows that it will turn out for his deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. So I love how I'm, I reference him a lot because I love his teaching. <laughs> um, the Pastor Danny Bond of Bible, uh, Calvary Chapel Golden Springs Bible College. I know Armida's taking a few of his classes and his teaching's just on a whole other level. He says, the body takes care of each other. That's why we're called his body. God uses our prayers to protect one another and even give power of the Holy Spirit to one another. So that's 
speaking about believers, those who are his. So just like the human body takes care of itself, um, we know it sends signals, it has reflexes, instincts, the body works together. Um, we know if you're sick, um, maybe you don't feel it right away. They said it might affect your whole body. Maybe your, your eye will start you know, being sick from your nerves or whatever. Maybe something wrong in your foot or you have a tumor, you start getting migraines, a uh, brain tumor. So everything is connected and your body uh, tells on itself. So just how, so it's awesome that Jesus used that reference that we're his body and, and it's cool that Paul says that here that, that he knows that there's something about prayers and we will never fully understand it on this side of heaven, but if we truly believe it, we would know it by, it was convicting for me too, <laughs> by the amount that we pray, how often we pray, and who, who do we pray for? Like a lot of times, a shallow prayer life would be if we just pray for ourselves and our needs. And yes, that's awesome because one, we're praying. That's a lot of people don't even pray, but it's something about interceding. The just the the office, I guess you could say, of intercessory prayer. It's just something that we would just never understand how how powerful it is. And sometimes we'll see it answered, and we'll just be amazed. Even years later, I'm going to give a quick story. Um, we had a, one of our Bible college teachers from Golden Springs. He passed away last week, and he was, um, oh, actually, Lizeth took some classes with him, um, and I think maybe Armida, too. Um, he was just awesome and like a father figure to me since 2014, since I started taking his classes, and um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just really, it's been really hard, but um, it's cool that just, it was just sudden, and um, it's cool that a lot of his, his wisdom and his saying still stick to us to this day. And he was just the most encouraging man you'll ever meet with a big smile. And everybody would go to him because they know you're going to come back super encouraged. And um, so he, he actually died of a brain tumor. Um, after a surgery, they took it out. And his brain still had swelling. And he ended up um, going home after his doctor's visit when he had pain still. And he just randomly just collapsed. And, and he passed away. Um, so... I forgot where I was going with this, <laughs> thinking of him. Oh, yes, yeah, so the story about answer prayer. So the crazy thing is we've actually been wanting to post that video. Um, when we first started City Terrace, this was January of last year, January 2022, 2021, um, our church, Cabbage New Beginnings of West Covina, which Armida is a part of. She was part of our team that started since day one, and Sarah's parents, they were here since day one. We didn't even know them when we met them that day. They've been here since day one. Um, yeah, we were just here starting the work. We were just helping out. Me and my husband didn't know we were going to be the ones to stay. Um, but it was cool because we were just excited. We're like, me and my husband, that's our heart, you know, to start new works. And we're missionaries, and we were just excited. And I know God was calling me to something new. I was just in a season of waiting where I was at until he gave me the green light of what was next. But... Um, but it's crazy because I wasn't even going to tell him, but one of my friends, she's really close to him as well. And we were in class. It was during COVID. Most classes were actually on Zoom. You had the option to go in person, but most people were doing Zoom. But that day, we happened to go in person. And she was like, oh, we didn't even have him as a teacher that semester. But she was like, oh, let's go talk to him because we just love talking to him. So we passed by his class. And she was like, he told me I had to um, catch up with him. That's how his heart is. And my goal is, um, you know, 
I believe it's in the Proverbs, it says to be diligent to know the state, the state of your flocks. And it's just a good example of that. He didn't just say it, he lived it out. Like, he'll email you every day. And I can't imagine, like, how many people look up to him and, and um, friends and students he had. Like, when my husband was in Columbia, he said he emailed him every single day um, for a few months. And um, he would do that to me sometimes, and just all of us. And he'll, he's just so spiritually gifted. Uh, he has the gifts of the Spirit where he'll just end with the right verse in your email, and you're like, oh, how did he know that? And it's just awesome. But anyways, he lived out what, you know, we are called to do as, as um, not just Christians, but spiritual leaders and as a pastor. And um, yeah, so I wasn't even going to tell him anything, but um, she was just like, oh, he wanted me to catch him up on my situation <laughs> that I was going through. So I was like, okay. And then he asked me, so what's been up with you? And I was like, oh, actually, we started a church. And I just told him, and I was like, wait a minute. I remember you always tell your stories that you grew up in East LA. And he was like, City Terrace? And I was like, yeah. He's like, that's my neighborhood. And I was like, no way. So after sitting in his classes for, I had him for about five semesters, not consecutively, but over time, after a few years, he would always reference, oh yeah, he was, uh, you guys are familiar, there's a lot of Catholic churches here. He, his family was very hardcore Catholic, and he was very hardcore Catholic, and he was like an altar boy. He was very zealous for the Lord, but in a religious way. And you know, he was just seeking the Lord until one day his aunt was saved and she was praying for them and he got saved and his mom got saved around the same time and they went through persecution within their immediate family um now they're believers but at the time they weren't and they gave them a really hard time and um so he would he didn't have a car for like a year um this was way back then because he's older he was he's like he's in his 60s so this was back in the day he got saved he was maybe early 20s or late teens and um at the time, there was only a Calvary Chapel. Well, the main, you know, Mother Calvary Chapel is in Costa Mesa, where Chuck Smith started, but then it was West Covina with Pastor Raw. That's where he started, and that was like one of the only Calvary Chapels, the few that ever started. So he would have to take a bus from here, City Terrace, to West Covina because he didn't have a car. And so he just had a lot of crazy adventures on the bus <laughs> and um, a lot of stories that the Lord also did. But, um, but anyway, so he said, he, these are his streets. He literally lived here, down City Terrace and Hazard. And every day he would walk, and when he would go to church, and he would pray, oh, Lord, that would be awesome. Why, if there will be a church in City Terrace? And again, there was only like two carry chapels at the time. <laughs> maybe a few more, but at most two, maybe. And this was way back, back in the day. So he was like, oh, maybe, I mean, that would be awesome. And he would go to the park. He would pray with his mom. He would pray for his city. And, and you can imagine, you know, the prayer wasn't answered. How many years passed? And 45 years later... Here we are. <laughs> so it's so crazy. And he actually forgot about that prayer. When I told him, he was just so like, oh, my goodness. And he's like, I can't wait to tell my mom. But he's like, I don't know if she'll understand because now she has Alzheimer's. But isn't that crazy? So we don't know how long. And actually, I was thinking of Liz, too, of her testimony. I'm going to probably have her share soon. She, she shared with us, I think, the first study that her family was praying for her for a lot of years, too. And that's just really encouraging. So just a lot of examples like that. And that's her little backstory on City Terrace and to me, it's a miracle that God could have sent anybody to plant a covered chapel in City Terrace, but the man who started praying for that originally, he was faithful in those prayers until he had just forgotten about them. What better people to send than his little disciples that are like him, that we, a lot of our teaching and our style is because of him. He's like one of our spiritual figures, fathers in our, in our life. So I just thought that was amazing. And then Sarah's mom also was praying for a long time for City Terrace. So it's just crazy how everything 
God answers. God answers prayers, and, and we might not see it, and it just amazes me because this was last year, probably, yeah, just last year that he saw that prayer fulfilled, and then now he died. So isn't it crazy that God waited until the fulfillment of that prayer, and then he passed away, and it just blows me away, and I'm like, man, if he would have died before, he wouldn't have seen that answered prayer, and it's just so crazy. But anyways, moving on. <laughs> so that was verse 19. So intercessory prayer. So verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So what I got from this that really stood out to me is that waiting and hope go together. So Paul doesn't specifically say the, the word hope in this verse, but we know that he's earnestly expecting Actually, I'm sorry, he does say hope. He's earnestly expecting, but the word wait is not in there. So he's earnestly expecting. And before I hit on that, how waiting and hope go together, I wanted to share a verse oh, about expectation. So Psalm 62, 5 through 6 says, My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. So a lot of people might see it, or maybe even critics of the Bible, they might say, oh, Paul was presumptuous, or he was, how could he say that he's going to have boldness again, and, you know, he's not there, and, and, or it's just him, you know, hoping for the best. But as I said, Paul, this is the Apostle Paul. He spent many years before he started his, his ministry in the wilderness, of Arabia, um, the Lord ministered to him there, and before he even started into ministry, and as I said, he got to catch up with Peter, all the other apostles that were here, were started before him, but they were around the same time, so they were catching him up, um, we know that they, um, when they lost Judas, because he betrayed Jesus, they knew they were supposed to be a 12th disciple, and we know in the book of Acts, they took things into, into their own hand, or, or maybe the Lord led them, but there's different views on that, but they casted lots and they got Matthias as the 12th disciple. But we see later on it was actually supposed to be Paul. So, so you know, they brought him in. The believers, once they were skeptical because he persecuted the Christians, but once they received him and God, God confirmed to them to receive him, and he got caught up with everything. And, and not just that, like I said, the Lord taught him personally and just doctrine, and we know how he was selected, not just knowledge, but we know God ordained him to be an apostle, and when God anoints leaders, he gives them that special revelation, and we know that the scriptures are written uh, by the moving of the Holy Spirit, as Peter says, so, so um, Paul wasn't just hoping for the best, he was expected in God, he knew his God, as we've been seeing how he's just so intimate with God, and no man could speak this way or have this confidence unless you know God. So for him to say that, we know that it's his expectation from God. And remember that the Psalms are part of the Old Testament. So they didn't have the New Testament when the disciples and apostles were around. They wrote these letters later, but they fell back. They were Jews originally, so they fell back on the Old Testament. A lot of the Jews had to have it memorized, mostly the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. 
So they knew, they knew the Old Testament. So that's why, and oh, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, compared to the rest of the disciples, they were very well known in their, their culture and their, their scriptures, but Paul even more so, because he was literally a Pharisee. And that is why he was able to apply a lot of these um, scriptures. What I, what I learned later in the future that the New Testament actually quotes a lot of Old Testament scriptures. So people that tell you that the Old Testament isn't for today, uh, if you take away the Old Testament, you wouldn't have most of the New Testament. So a lot of it is just how it pieces, it comes together now with the, now that Jesus came and we're in, under the new covenant and how it was a shadow of things to come. So, so Paul knew the scriptures. So he was not only intimate with Christ through his prayers and his fastings and just his obedience, but he knew the scriptures and he was able to apply them. So he was expected of God. And knowing that he was going to be bold, again, he wasn't being presumptuous. He just knew the Lord, as, um, as I mentioned earlier, how Sarah said that we, we easily forget. We easily forget those victories that God gives us. And, and um, Paul didn't. He remembered all the times he delivered him, everything he went through leading up to this moment in this, this certain imprisonment. This was his first imprisonment. The second one was when he would um, ultimately get beheaded. But he wasn't presumptuous. He, he knew that the Holy Spirit will give him that boldness. As we know that Jesus said when um, he was here walking the earth, he taught them, he taught the disciples, do not fear, and I believe it's in Matthew, do not fear what you're going to say, that the Holy Spirit will give you the words. So Paul knew, and he was confident in that, that he's going to pre preach the gospel with boldness. And so that's on the expectation part. And then where I got to the waiting and hope go together, we don't actively wait for nothing if we are not sure we are going to even receive or see anything in the end, as if it's a gamble. So we know the believer has a real hope compared to the world. The world says, I hope, you know, I hope this happens. I hope I win the lottery. We know most likely that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but the believer has a confident hope that they know it's going to happen. We might not see it, as you read in Hebrews 11.1, 1, I love that, I love this verse. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we hope with faith, knowing that our God, we know our God intimately, who he is, what his word says. Um, I love what Sarah also said, is that once you know truth, you can combat the lies. And that's so important, not just knowing our word, building that relationship, but knowing the truth, because a lot of times we could have a good relationship with the Lord. We're not in sin, how she said in Job, his friends were thinking he had to repent, but everything might be right. We're not in sin, we're in fellowship, but our feelings still trip us up. We might have doubt. Um, the enemy lies to us. We believe those lies. It's not that maybe we're not in our word, or even if we miss a day, it doesn't mean, you know, oh, so it happens. So that is why we need to know truth, because truth supersedes our feelings. Um, I know one of our other professors, Pastor David, he says that. What are the marks of a mature Christian? A mature Christian is somebody who holds the word above their own emotions. So that's when, um, where there are things they agree with in culture, laws being passed. It could be that, or like I mentioned, spiritual warfare. We might not believe it. We might not believe that we're forgiven. I mean, we know we're forgiven, but oftentimes we're condemned about our past. Um, 
yes, we know doctrine. We could say, I know, you know, I have Jesus' righteousness, but there's always those buts, those doubts, or whatever else. And I love that verse in, I believe it's in First John. It says, uh, beloved, if, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. So I love that. Um, so the, again, that's why it's important to have that relationship, be in his word. He talks back to us there in the word. Prayer is us talking to God. God could talk to us back during prayer where we feel like we have peace. He's confirming something. But most of the time, you'll see he talks back to us in the word. It's not an audible voice. People trip out, especially if they're non-believers. They're like, what do you mean God talks to you? You're schizophrenic. But no, you'll know once you're in the word and you're seeking him with no false motives because oftentimes we could twist the scripture or turn to one that we want to hear. But um, if you go, if you have that devotional life, where you're just reading through a specific book or through the Bible, you pick up where you left off, or even just picking a random psalm. I like to do that, and it works. It's just the Lord, his whole word, his whole word is alive. And um, so if we're not trying to purposely find the verse we want to hear and twist it, um, he speaks to us. If we're genuinely seeking, he speaks to us, and he'll confirm it in more than one way. For me, it's often through the word. Then it could be in a Bible study. You turn on the radio. That's why it's important. Also, listen to Christian music. Listen to the Christian radio because all the times God wants to speak and we miss out on that if we listen to secular music. There's nothing wrong with that unless it's really <laughs> simple and raunchy, but um, I just always prefer to listen to uh, worship. Sometimes we'll listen to secular, but I always right away I'm like, I can't, I can't do it for too long. I have to turn on the worship and yeah, God's faithful. He speaks through that. He speaks through a little message on the radio and it just confirms. Like that happened to me when I was praying for my future husband one, one day a long time ago. <laughs> um, the Lord just gave me, you know, you doubt you're single. I know some of you guys are single here. My heart's still for the singles because I know how it's like. Um, you know, we start to doubt and not that we're, I mean, we go through the motions. We can maybe be mad at God, but a lot of times, you know, if we, like I said, God's sovereign. He knows what's best for us. We could trust him and be like, okay, God, I guess you want me to be single. I accept it. You're like, I don't have the gift of singleness, but maybe you're giving it to me. But, you know, you hope. We're hoping, right? And God God gives you scriptures. So I didn't know anything about my future husband. And I knew I had standards, though, what I was looking for and that I wasn't going to settle. And yeah, and he just gave me Ecclesiastics. Like I said, I was just reading through the Bible. I didn't purposely go there. I was still getting to know the Bible. I, was, I hadn't gone through the whole Bible at the time. And I was there, I guess, in my reading, and it was Ecclesiastics, I believe it's four, where it talks about two are better than one. They have a greater reward for their labor. And God just, boom, boom, boom. He was, just talks about, you know, companionship. And I saw his marriage and just working for the Lord. You know, we could get more done as a team. And um and I was like, okay, and of course, boom, the doubt starts to set in. The enemy, like, no, maybe it's not. You're just, you know, thinking of it that way. And, but I, you know, you just feel it in your heart. When you trip yourself up, we don't go by feelings, but there are times God just confirms it in your spirit, I guess is a better way of saying it. And, and then, and I was working with my mom at the time, and I was waiting for her. And it's funny because I got out 30 minutes before her all the time. So I would just wait in her office because she was ready to clock out. So I was um, reading and if our gap, because we carpooled, if our gap wasn't like that, I probably wouldn't have read that. And the timing just wouldn't have been the way it was. Because when I read that, and it was time for her to clock out, she turns on the car, and boom, Bill Welsh on K-Wave is talking about that specific verse. And I was just like, what? what? I just read that, because I was already starting to doubt in those few minutes. And I was like, OK, this is not a coincidence. And so it's just the timing of it and everything. So yeah, God is wanting to speak to us. 
So always read the Bible with the expectation, with a ready heart. You know, not that, oh, I have to read because I'm going to be a bad Christian if I don't, or guilt, you know, no, with expectancy. That oftentimes, I, I feel guilty because when I haven't been in my word, and I've just been busy, or my anxiety, and when I finally pick it up, and I'm like, and I don't even have to read long. The sad thing is, some people might have to labor in it, and like, right away, boom, God speaks to me, and just, I'm so blessed. And I'm just like, man, this is what God had wanted the whole time. And this whole time I was holding out like, oh. And I was like, and God is just, he's just so faithful like that. But moving on. So, um, yeah, so life just gets easier as we rest in him. Even if the world around us is falling down, we could rest in him and his word. So I want to say a few more scriptures before we move on. References, because he says in that same verse, in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So for the sake of time, there was a lot of verses I wanted to reference that came to mind about the word ashamed. Um, I wanted to do in the future like a little inductive Bible study class for women, just like a little short workshop to um, show you the inductive Bible study method and how to um, do a Bible study, because I know a lot of women <laughs> are gifted with the gift of teaching, and, um, or maybe you don't know your gifts yet, and, or you're already good at teaching, but you never knew the method. There's no specific way, because different pastors do have different styles, but it's good to know, so it just gives you a better um, rounded study in just how to do it, but um, it's funny, as Angel brought it up the other day, I want to do a class, and I was like, oh, I wanted to do one for the women, so if he doesn't do it, we'll do it for the women, <laughs> but um, but yeah, a lot of verses came to mind. So there's a, a cool tool. There's a ver- uh, and this is that teacher that passed away. I took it, that class with him, and he was just, I didn't pass the class because he was the hard teacher to take that class for, but he was very, very, very in-depth. And, and yeah, everyone says that's the hardest class in Bible college. <laughs> but I'm glad I took it because um, I ended up passing it with another teacher that was easier. I did it differently, but I'm glad I took it with him because I learned his style. He's a really, really good teacher. But um, if there's, he always says, if there's a word that sticks out to you when you're reading, like a specific verse, you know, hold on to that word and then look it up. You could either, a simple way is look up the definition. You might know the word, the definition, like, okay, I know what boldness means, but, you know, the definition gives you more synonyms or whatever. But if you look up Blue Letter Bible, there's an app or you could go online. There's a lot of tools. It's kind of hard to maneuver through it. You might be like, well, what is all this? But once you get familiar with it, I too kind of just still figure my way around there, um, you'll get comfortable with it. And it tells you all the Greek, the original Greek. If you're in the Old Testament, it's mostly going to be in Hebrew, um, the Hebrew words. But in the New Testament, it's the Greek. It'll give you the actual meaning that it was written in. Because we know this is the English translation. There's been different translations. Um, I think it's translated from the Latin Vulgate, originally the English um, Bible. But, um, yeah, so there's different... There's different... Um, Sorry, my mind went somewhere else. <laughs> There's different um, meanings or words what Paul actually meant. I mean, the meaning would be boldness, but it's just so much in depth. Like, I don't think you guys are familiar. Or if you guys are bilingual, if you speak Spanish, sometimes the Spanish words are more descriptive. There might not be those words in English that you could express it, or vice versa. Sometimes there's more um, words in English that they don't have in Spanish. So that's how the Greek is um, as well. So you just get a more in-depth Meaning, and also, it'll give you all the words in the Bible that say ashamed, all the verses. So it'll give you so many verses, and 
But there could be two different ashamed. Like um, the Greek, it's a number. So say this specific verse is Greek number 174. Um, another verse might say Greek 24. So it gives you all the ones that are the exact one, and you could just, it just gives you a more rounded understanding, like, wow, this verse means the same exact thing as Paul was talking about here, the same meaning. But um, yeah, so like I said, a shame stood out to me. There's a lot of verses, but I'm only going to say two um, for the sake of time, because I wanted to do something else after this study. Um, so I'm going to read Romans 116. Uh, many of you guys are probably familiar with this verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So this is the same Paul who wrote what we're reading Philippians, wrote that Romans. So he keeps talking about that, and nothing I will be ashamed. He's talking about proclaiming Christ, to live with Christ and to die is gain, whether in death or in life. So I'm also going to read Romans 10, 11, for the scripture says, and just like I said, they reference a lot of the Old Testament. So this is the Old Testament reference. In the New Testament, again, Paul in Romans says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And then Psalm 25, 1 through 3. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. So it's awesome how I said, um, and that's when I thought waiting and hope go together. God, um, Paul knew the importance of waiting. He knew the importance of intercessory prayer. He knew the importance of waiting as he wrote Romans. There's a lot of, of those verses in there and elsewhere in the New Testament. So he, he knew the importance of waiting and um, something we could take, whether single or whatever season we're waiting for now. Um, I love that, but even though, yes, God deals with our enemies, in this case, Paul wanted his enemies to be saved. As we said, um, the background to Philippians, when Paul and Silas were in the book of Acts in the city of Philippi before the church was founded, how they were beaten with rods, but we knew that was like with sharp objects, and, and they were tortured in the, in the prison, in the stocks. They... Um, they, oh yes, so I mentioned that the jailer was going to commit suicide because there was a big earthquake after they worshipped, and they could have easily run away. Remember I said, if we were broken out of jail, we would per se, America goes through a big persecution, which seems like it's going to start happening. Um, that's why I love what we're going to do tonight. Um, how we also talked about Paul, boldness breeds boldness. When we see somebody being bold, it kind of, oh, that was in verse 14 how he inspired the other believers to be bold. They're like, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah, Paul's arrested, but look at him. So it just made them want to start preaching more boldly. It spread like wildfire to other believers. So um, when we learn about other believers that are bold, it just inspires boldness. Or when we see somebody stand up, that one person stand up in the workplace or something, it inspires us. Or if nobody has done it yet, um, maybe we need to be the first ones to start. So, um, Oh, yes, yeah. so the Philippine jailer was going to commit suicide, but they stayed. They stayed in the prison. They didn't escape, and they thought of his soul, because if he died, what was going to happen? He was going to go to hell. So they stayed for the sake of him, and he brought them to his home. He'd washed their wounds, and um, the whole family, him and his household, got saved, and they were baptized. So, so yeah, that's just awesome. Um, moving on to verse 20. 
Before I move on, I'm sorry, one more scripture reference, speaking about spiritual intimacy. So how I said Paul mentions boldness in that same verse. He said, but with all boldness is always, so now also with Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So as I mentioned, he was, he was close to God where he knew that God never failed him yet. Whenever, when you read the book of Acts, you see all the adventures, the missionary journeys and persecutions that Paul went through. He went before many magistrates uh, through, with Felix and many others, Festus, and, um, and he, w- he had opportunity to share the gospel. And even though they wanted to kill him and he caused riots and everywhere he went, and um, that's funny, huh? It's kind of thinking, like, if you aren't starting a riot somewhere, are you really a Christian? It just made me think of that. <laughs> People, <laughs> compared to Paul's, Paul's level where he was at. But, um, but yeah, so um, he was very familiar with the Lord that in all those times, like I said, he remembered Jesus' teaching, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He'll tell you the words. So when he says boldness there, um, as we mentioned that, um, that he knew already God's always faithful to meet him every time to fill him with that boldness. So it made me think of Luke 11, 9 through 13. Um, that's Jesus speaking. He would always teach in parables to make it easier for them to understand and just paint a, a better picture. So he says, so I say to you, ask. And a, a quick, um, a little quick inductive Bible study tip on that too. When you know, oftentimes that's the tricky thing about parables is people could come up with false doctrine because of the parables. They think that Jesus is actually teaching, it's an actual person. But how we know he's saying a parable is that he doesn't mention names. Like right here, he will just say a father and a son. He's just giving an example. Um, But when he gives names, like the rich man and Lazarus, those are actual people. So that's actual doctrine. So here, it's a parable. He's not giving names. He's giving a story. So he says in Luke so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, without spending too much time there, it's pretty um, explanatory there. How we as humans, we have fallen natures, we're sinful, you know, we even could be angry at our family members. So he's saying, you guys that are evil, if you guys are still, we have compassion on our children, right? Like, even if we're kid maybe made us mad for the day, or our brother, or father, you know, he's, but right here specifically talking about a father and a son, if the kid's saying, dad, I'm hungry, or I want this, he's not going to give him a stone, or a serpent, you know, he's not going to do something evil, he's like, no, even you know how to give good gifts, so how much more your perfect heavenly father, gives the Holy Spirit, we, all we have to do is ask, and he says, keep seeking, keep knocking, and that um, could be for any prayer, as we've been talking about the intercessory prayer, it's in God's will, and he says to pray in Jesus' name, and it will be given to us. So with faith, and even the faith of the size of a mustard seed, it's really tiny, <laughs> even if we don't have that much faith, because with just enough, a little bit, we can move mountains. So moving on to verse 21. So verse 21 says, 
For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, referencing back to Pastor Danny Vaughn of, of Golden Springs Bible College, I love how he said, if you take out the word for to me, to live is Christ, so take out the word Christ, you could say, for to me, to live is, I don't know, career, he said, boyfriend, fortune, you know, goal, for to me, to live is the house on the hill, he said, you can't finish that sentence, say, career, so to live is career, and to die is gain, you're not really gaining anything, you're losing everything, when you die, you don't take anything with you, so there's a funny story, I mean, it's sad, but it's funny, um, of this man, a well-known man, he wanted to be buried with his Cadillac, and he actually was buried with his Cadillac, and um, it's sad, you know, it's sad, and we see that in Egyptian culture, um, with the mummies and their tombs, how they actually believed that they could take their riches with them, that's why they would put curses if anybody steals, you know, their gold, which is kind of funny, because if you were that powerful in the afterlife, you know, nobody would be able to steal your gold, but they said, if anybody steals it, you know, they would be cursed, because they thought they truly took that with them. So we know if you add whatever in there, it's going to be lost. A lot of people, um, especially rich people or businessmen or just anybody, they, they're dying words when they ask them, you know, what, what is your regrets? Um, for the Christian, it's often said their regrets is they wish, like Billy Graham, I believe, said this, is that he prayed more. Um, for, in general, men and women, in the world, you know, they regret not spending time with their family or their kids. You know, maybe they were working so much and yeah, they got them this nice home. I mean, if you're content, I mean, you don't have to get the super, you know, million dollar home or whatever, but a lot of people regret that. So just like Sarah was sharing, you know, she was wanting more time with her children. That's what, what was her final thoughts. And so if you put Christ, any other word in there, it's not a game. So so it goes together. We're living the same reason that we're dying. It's all about Christ. That's the only way that it'll be gained. If we live for Christ, then we go to heaven. We're going to have the rewards. And not that it's about the rewards, but we're going to have peace. We're going to have eternal life. And, and if not, you, you put anything else before God. It's an idol. You know, work, maybe even family sometimes. You know, give God should be first. Even those things are good. Um, you know, we could be false so much into it where we might drive ourselves to hell we neglect our spiritual life and we maybe backslide and eventually stop going to church and maybe start dabbling in the things of the world and who knows you know we lose our faith especially with so many lies today like sarah was saying it's so easy um, to get deceived i saw um like a meme the other day i'm trying to remember what it said it was really good it said um be careful think who you're listening to or that the devil the devil convinced the angels um, to get out of heaven. So imagine he's convincing people to go to hell. If he could convince angels that were literally in the presence of God in heaven, imagine, like, he could easily convince us that we haven't even seen the spiritual world. So it's crazy. But, yeah, so always Christ first. And, yeah, to die is going to be gained. We don't have to worry. We don't have to. And what I said that this was tied to what she was saying is um, also before I finish, before I get to that thought, Pastor Daniel also said, uh, there's tension. Paul wanted to be here, and he wanted to be used, and he wanted to go to heaven with him. So usually it's the first, at the beginning, say when you first get saved, you grow in the Lord, and you see how God uses you, and then you start to want to stay here longer. But your desire to go to heaven becomes stronger as well. So the more you mature in the Lord, you know, we just love him so much. And again, we see him time and time again. 
it's, it's crazy because we don't have to do anything, like Sarah would say, we don't have to do anything for him to love us more. He really loves us that way, but sadly, our fallen nature, you know, we start to love him. He's, that's why he's the husband. We're the bride. He pursues us. Um, it should, love shouldn't be agape love, you know, that's um, 1 Corinthians 13. Agape love is God's love. Worldly love isn't like that. We have um, a different love. So that's why it's important to be in the spirit and have that godly love. Because we love and what we could get out of it, what somebody does for us. Um, God doesn't love like that. He already loved us, Romans says as well. We were yet sinners. He died for us. He already loved us before we were even born. And um, before the foundations of the world, before he created the world, he already knew us. And Psalm 139 talks about that as well. And um, there's nothing we can do, but sadly, we fall in love after he pursues us. He shows us. Um, Romans also says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So oftentimes that's the mercy of God. Um, for me, I saw that in my life. Um, God was just showing himself. I hadn't fully surrendered yet, but he was just, yes, he was breaking me. A lot of things, crazy things were happening to me to get my attention. But I started seeing his hand in everything, um, in my court dates. Um, it was just crazy how the judge, just my um, sentence could have been way worse. And it, it was just crazy. And so... God was wooing me, and he was already for me, even though I didn't fully surrender to him yet, and I wasn't, didn't surrender to all those things yet. Um, and yeah, and he doesn't have to do that, but he does, and it's those things that convinces us and grows our love for him. But his love, it's not like that. He just already loves us unconditionally. That's a good word to say. Agape love is unconditional love. So, um, so that's the thing. When we grow in our walks, we get to know him more intimately, and so we want to be with him more. And... Um, so he says, our desire, yeah, is that desire for heaven becomes stronger. So Paul basically says, whatever the Lord wants, you know, whether I live or I die, I know God's going to get the glory regardless. He trusts him. People, it made me think it's sad because people who aren't ready to die or they're as close to the Lord, um, whether non-believer or even believers, they just, they're, oftentimes they're afraid to die. And sadly, we did see that too in, in I hate to say it, but in the pandemic we saw a lot of believers fearful and it's understandable but some it became so prolonged up to this day where they just haven't been back to church and, and we don't know where they're at and um but we know fear is, is not from god um that's something we we had to stand on even me i i was fearful at the beginning you know, we didn't know anything about this thing and but we just had to keep falling back as believers on the word you know paul told timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and um, a strong mind. So, um, yeah, so sadly, people are, are, are they're afraid to die, and maybe even believers. So we should cultivate that relationship with the Lord, not just for the gift of salvation, how I said our love is selfish sometimes, um, and heaven, not what he could give us, but for him. We should just want him for him. And for all else flows from him, for he is all in all, as Colossians says. I want, might want to get into that epistle next after Philippians. That's where the Lord is leading. So Colossians says that in him all things consist. So we will then have such confidence in our lives and with anything that befalls us and whatever happens to us because we just have that confidence. And we're, we're aware of his perfect sovereignty. As I said, he's in control. We know that doctrine. Once we study doctrine, too, it's not just knowing the words, but getting into the doctrine. We're like, okay, God is this, God is that. And we fall back on those truths. 
So God's perfect sovereignty, that we know he's on the throne, he's in control, even though it might not seem like it here in the world. But as we're going through Revelation on Sundays, we know that um, it was a time of, of grace, that God's been having mercy until he came to judge the world. And we know Satan's the prince of this world right now, but Jesus already redeemed it. He redeemed the title deed to the earth that Adam and Eve forsook by dying on the cross, and he just has to come and, and claim it now, and that's when he's going to come back. So um, we know that nothing happens to us without first passing through his loving, all-wise hand. We will be ready at any moment, even if our earthly perspective, even if in our earthly perspective we would worry, and this is where I thought of Sarah, I was like, wait, that's the same thing. If we are leaving children, parents, husbands, etc., behind or unfinished business, um, because we know the Lord will take care of all things, and it's part of his greater plan, even if it can't be understood on this side of heaven. Remember the end goal and the will of God, besides our own sanctification, Thessalonians says that the will of God is also, he desires that none shall perish. Um, Jesus dies for all, whosoever believes, but we have, we have to choose him. He knows the best way to bring people to surrender to him and let him save them from their sin and the snare of the devil. Um, and this also reminded me of um, loved ones getting saved at funerals. How many times have you guys seen um, a Christian dying and it's just terrible, it's sad. And, but because of their witness, say they had summer family members, friends that were atheists or, you know, they didn't like it. And for some reason, when they die, people get saved. And that's they know God opens their eyes and they finally surrender. And sadly, that's how God sees the end result. Yes, it's sad that they died, but we know they're going to be in heaven. We're going to see them. If I had the choice, and it's hard to say, but if I had the choice and God says, okay, if you die young, but all these people in your family are going to get saved, I would do it. <laughs> then live a long life and for them to perish. So, um, yeah, so God says, so we shouldn't be sad for them. And just like this pastor that I mentioned, I'm already seeing, like, on his social media, like, um, family members, because I know a lot of his family members are our friends. Um, we would hang out with and stuff, but some that I don't recognize that seem like they're not walking with the Lord, and they're already sad, like, oh, because he was so loving, and they're like, I miss my uncle, and they're liking all the church posts that are posting, all everyone's sharing memories, and that alone is already a big witness to them, like, wow, my uncle was a great, a great man, you know, and so I'm excited for his, um, his celebration of life next Friday, or this, yeah, next Friday, in the morning, and yeah, just pray, for, we'll pray for that, that I know it's not in vain that he just lived an awesome legacy, and I know his family is going to get saved, so if not then, then soon, <laughs> um, and a quick story, I had a friend, my mom knew him, uh, I used to serve, um, my stepdad actually still serves there, my, and my mom at Golden Springs, they have a drug and alcohol study on Tuesday nights called New Thirst, but anybody could go, even if you don't struggle with drug and alcohol addiction, it's just another Bible study to fellowship at, and it's an awesome study. Um, we had a friend, people always come and go there, and um, it's sad because um, some we'll never see again, and I've seen some that would just die from, eventually die of overdose, and it, it just the first one that broke my heart, it was our friend Tyler, he was a young, he was in his 20s, late 20s, um, he overdosed, and we saw him. He was in a coma in the hospital, but I believe he could truly hear us, and, and, and I believe he's in heaven, and we prayed for him. We did worship for him, and it was crazy. We did his favorite song, and, like, his, um, the computers on the things he was tied up to, were just the, the stats were just going crazy, like, super negative and positive. Like, they were just moving all crazy. I was like, oh, my gosh. And when we were saying we were going to leave, like, it started doing that again, and he didn't want us to leave. I was like, oh, my gosh. And man, and it was just crazy. But um, his funeral, same thing. Um, 
a lot, that place was packed out. There was no room inside the, the place they had it at. And it was a big place and there's people outside and almost the whole room stood up when uh, Pastor Lonnie gave the, the message. And um, he's the one that also teaches Luther's. And yeah, and they're all young people. And I was just amazed, like, wow, God, like you're sovereign, you know, you know, um, you know what you're doing. And it's just crazy to me. So speaking of that friend, his mom, I was really close to his mom. She, she's, they, you can imagine having, losing a child, it's a really hard time. They went through a lot and they're still going through a lot. But God gave her this verse in Psalm 139, 15 through 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Um, so you see there that, well, I, I included that first verse just to know what the verse is talking about, the context. So it's talking about that, that God knew us while we were being formed in our mother's womb, when we were just a few days old in our womb, in my, our mother's womb, and, you know, we're growing and we're growing before our bones grow, before anything, and even before that, even before we were in our mother's womb, he was with us. And um, it says that the days were, fa- all, in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So even before we're born, God knows the exact day, crazy to think he knows the exact day that we're going to die and it's something that I still trip up on because we see man's free will we see horrible things when people are murdered especially believers or persecuted churches we're going to see and we're like man did God in some cases we see like this Paul yeah it was meant to be because more people got saved through it but there's some or question marks like the kids that were murdered in the school shooting and you're like what and um, it's just something we'll never understand until we get to heaven but God knows he allows, he didn't make that happen, but he allows it. And he knows that day. So we can't change, like Sarah said, I can't change my destiny. She was trying to stay awake and not die. So it's, it's true. Yeah, it's so true that, you know, God knows the day that we're going to die. We can't change that. We can't change that. And, um, you know, we see those movies or those shows that said, if you were to know the day you're going to die, how would you want to do it? It's like, just crazy. But no, it's like God knows. We won't know, but God knows. And um, we could rest in that. We could rest in that. And um, that's the verse um, that God gave his mom in that. She's like, okay, like, because there was some foul play that could have happened. They just dumped his body and they could have investigated. And she was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm tired. Like, God knew. She's like, God knew this is going to be the day. And, and she had peace. So the only God could do that to the believer and have peace in, those, in such crazy situations like that. So, um, before you continue on, I just want to get into a quick thing that's good to know doctrinally, um, where Paul says, whether by life or by death. Um, actually, sorry. I'm sorry, no, no, this is actually going with the next verses. So let's read the next verses. Uh, verse 22, but this is where we're going to just wrap it up and move on quickly to the last few verses. I just wanted to get in depth in those first verses. So verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So where he says, verse... 23, 
For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Um, you're going to come across, and it's also a lot of cults have this. Um, there's a doctrine of soul sleep. I know me and my mom, we grew up uh, Seventh day Adventist, they believed in soul sleep. So when we transitioned to Kairi Chapel, it was actually, it was funny, it was really hard for us to accept. We agreed with everything else, we were liking it. We actually didn't know about the rapture either. They never taught about the rapture, we didn't believe in that. But we kind of accepted that. But something about that, how we're like, no, that's not right. She was like, I'm going to tell, <laughs> she's like, I'm going to tell um, the pastor. And she was like, no, no, maybe that, that's wrong. And then like later, you know, that's the cool thing about Calvary Chapel is like they're not just teaching it because they believe it. It's like they have the scriptures to back it up. It's not what they say. It's what the Bible says. Yes, the cults use scriptures too because there's a lot of scriptures that talk about in Acts, especially I think when Stephen was martyred because he went to sleep or in other things, other stories that say he went to sleep. So that's where they get the whole soul sleep. But when you dig into it, again, um, cults or even ourselves, why said we cannot twist scripture to what we wanted to say. Yeah, they might, they're using those scriptures, but they're not taking the whole Bible as a whole. So the reason, the argument against soul sleep is, is here in this verse, but also, um, oh, so let me explain quickly what that is. So soul sleep is they believe that when you die, um, you're asleep. So you're, the one of the big verses, that's like a complicated verse, sometimes I, it was hard to, for me to wrap my mind around that. It's hard the way they explain it, but it's in Thessalonians when it talks about the rapture. It says um, the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's one of the ones, main ones they use too. But um, it's mainly the word that they use is asleep, that they're asleep. So they believe that you're asleep until the coming of the Lord, the rapture. Um, when Christ returns for his church. So they think, oh, the dead are going to rise first because they were sleeping, they're waiting, right? And um, But one, a good argument against this is how I mentioned about the parables of the rich man and Lazarus. We know that was a real story because Jesus used names, right? So he was talking about the rich man and Lazarus. Um, Lazarus was the homeless man that died and the rich man, you know, he neglected him and, and he was just suffering on this world. So he was in Abraham's bosom. He said he's being comforted now. But the rich man was in hell. He could see. He knew this was before Jesus died and there was no more Abraham bosom because he released the captive. But at the time, you know, that where they went. But since he hadn't died yet, that's why he was giving the story. And he said, yeah, the rich man was like, I could see him. So somehow where he was in hell, he could see where the place of comfort was, was Abraham's bosom, where they were being held until they were released, able to go to heaven. Because Jesus, once he died, he was that sacrifice that now there's no wall to separate us to be able to get into heaven. Um, we have his righteousness. And so um, so he could see, and so he was in hell. And so if he died, why would he be in hell already, right? He could see already, like, he was in the afterlife, so to say. And so that's one. And then, um, so would they believe that until Christ returns? So here Paul says, you know, that he'd rather depart and be with Christ. So... We also know when Paul was stoned, if you remember that story, that they really believed he died. <laughs> then somehow he woke up and they were like, they were like praying over him, they're crying over his body, and he raised, you know, they're like, whoa, and he scared everybody. And, um, and that's when they believe he had the vision of, of heaven in Corinthians, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, where um, uh, he talks about that he had that, um, whether a vision, no, actually he said whether it's a vision or real life, he doesn't know. He said, I can't say. But... Um, he was in heaven. He was able to say things. He couldn't even say what he saw. And so 
when we know that story, um, he didn't say, um, oh, here, he's so here, when we say he wishes he could be with Christ. He doesn't say, I hope I could die and go to sleep till Christ returns for his church. So, no, he knows for a fact that, because he had that experience. He had that near-death or death experience where he was already in heaven. And we know that Corinthians also says, for to be, and this is Paul speaking as well, for to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's something about, we know once it's our shell, we say when you see dead bodies, you see that it's not them anymore. They're empty, right? When you see dead bodies, it's like their spirit isn't in them. They're, they're just the tent. And so once that spirit's gone, it has to go somewhere. So it's, you're already present with the Lord. So that's something we could take from there. And so finishing off the last verses, um, pretty much Paul's just saying that um, it's better for him to be here even though he wants to be with the Christ because, again, God's using him. We know he planted churches. He's building up the churches. He's writing these letters, and it's crazy. Oh, man, this reminds me of the Pastor Jesse even more, the one that passed away, because I say he always encourages us when he's probably going through all these things. And this was Paul. He was in prison, and here he's writing letters to encourage the churches. And he, they should be writing to him, right? And <laughs> he's always encouraging people. And so, um, so that's why he's like, I need to stay here because it's better for you guys because he's still discipling them. And he's look at, he wrote all these epistles. We have doctrine because of, of him and these epistles. And imagine if we didn't have these scriptures, like to live as Christ to die is gain. We would be um, discouraged and we wouldn't have a lot of the scriptures to fall back on. So, yeah, so he says, either one, I'm cool with it. I want to be in heaven, but I know I need to be here too for you guys. And so he's saying they're going to rejoice, and he's confident. It's saying, um, again, he wasn't presumptuous because he was released. So the last quick little history point here, how people are just, there's disagreements in whether this was his last imprisonment. But we know, as we've been studying, this was actually his first. There's a lot of proof for that it was his first before. So he got released around 63 AD. Nero, Caesar Nero, burned Rome. That's when he burned Rome down, if you know history. And he blamed it on the Christians. So they went through more persecution. And... Um, in 64 AD. So Paul was released before that. So remember we said there was a second wave of persecution. And that's the second wave is where Peter was also killed. So he was free for two to three years. And then he was imprisoned again for the final time. So that's when he wrote his letter in prison, from prison in 2 Timothy, his last letter. And so in his death and many others' death, Christ was glorified because he didn't recant. Um, as we see, we're going to see in the persecuted church, when they, even in the Middle East, you know, when they're persecuting Christians, they say, denounce Christ or die. All you have to do is, is renounce him. And they don't, you know. And so Christ is glorified when they don't. Because uh, if they did, then that's it. And it shows the worth of their Savior. So a good quick apologetics when people, atheists, you know, they don't believe the Bible's real and all this and that. The simplest argument we know is that you could say, all these people... Um, and the early church, but many of the disciples, all the early church, they wouldn't die for no reason. There's just too many. If there was like a little conspiracy, a little group of people that are trying to pass a little cult, you know, it would finish. You know how um, in Acts even, when the Jews were persecuting them, one of the rulers said, you know what, leave it alone. He said, if it's of God, we cannot, who are we to fight against God if it's a work of God? If not, it's just going to disappear like all the rest. And we see to this day, it hasn't disappeared, and there's people to this day um, so we're going to get into the persecuted church section. It's been um, 13, is it 13%? I can't remember. Sorry, there's a few statistics I'm thinking of right now. But um, 
But yeah, so a lot of people aren't, to this day, they're not recanting. They're not recanting. And um, it's actually half of the world's population, about half. So it's three, three billion people in the world today are living in areas where they're predominantly ruled by communist governments. So three billion people are actually Christians are persecuted today. That's like half of the world's population. That's super crazy, right? And um, that's, uh, there was something about 13%. I can't remember what the 13% was. But anyway, so that's something you could also say. All these people were willing to not renounce, even to this day. And um, so many people have died, millions, if not maybe in the billions. Um, it's honestly one of the biggest genocides or pandemics that people, is overlooked because the world hates Christians. They don't want to talk about Christians. And that's why they don't talk about it. They talk about all these other injustices and genocides, but the biggest one that's not talked about, millions, possibly billions of people, is um, the killing of Christians in, all around the world and so, or persecution. And um, yeah, so it's pretty crazy. So I wanted to finish... Um, Oh, a quick thing, tradition from early church, the early church, because we don't know much more about Paul the Apostle. Oh, the reason why I wanted to do this night, if you guys saw the flyer, is that June 29th, the, the church as a whole, tradition, they, sell, they celebrate that day, commemorate it as when Paul died, so was martyred. So they celebrate that as the day of the Christian martyr in general. So it's not just Paul, because we know we don't venerate saints, but, you know, we, we could look to his example and they celebrate Christians as a whole, our brothers and sisters that we're going to see in heaven. And um, they, so the tradition says that Paul went back to the church of Ephesus. So we know that's where he writes to the Ephesians. Um, that's that church. So when he was released the first time, he went back. This is what tradition says because we don't know much more about him. Um, then later on, Nero had a change of heart and he brought him back to Rome and that's when he died. So I wanted to finish with the verse Job 13:15. So we, as we've been speaking about Job, Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So I think that's just such an awesome verse to know and hold on to that. Um, even, even if God, you know, kill, quote unquote, kills us, but like we said, he, he allows things to happen. If this is his plan for our life, he's still going to trust him. Like we said, we could rest in that our timing, so we shouldn't fear death, we shouldn't fear, yes, we got to be wise, you know, live our lives wisely, but we know that nobody could take us, I love this quote that says, the Christian is indestructible until um, pretty much when Christ is done with him, so until we fulfilled our purpose in life, like say we could be, that's what we shouldn't push our limits, you know, and we go skydiving every day, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, say, we don't know, but say Christ says, have a specific mission for City Terrace or, you know, they're going to be here 15 more years and angel lizards are going to be here. So say we're in a crazy situation. Me and my husband love to go on the mission field and it could be really dangerous. Um, we're in the midst of cartels and different things. So imagine one day we're in some crazy situation or even in communist countries in South America. Say we get, oh, actually our speaker, our speaker, guest speaker at the end of July is Hallie Martinez. Her husband is um, Hector Martinez. He's our missions pastor. That he's also a spiritual fig father figure to us from Golden Springs. She's going to be speaking. And she, I heard a study from her one time because they're from Colombia. Um, she met him in Colombia. She's from America, but she was working at the Bible college out there. They're just so cute. They're like the cutest couple. But 
um, she has a story where she said that they actually came across the gorilla. They were in their cars and they were smuggling Bibles or I forgot what they were doing. And they questioned them. They're putting guns at them. They took them out of the cars. And it's just so crazy how God delivered them out of that. Like she just said something so, like the Lord confused them. Like they said, where's your passport? And she was like, I don't know. She said something and then they believed her. It was just, I don't know. She went to the car and somehow it was just crazy. So she has a lot of crazy stories, but say like something like that happens, but God knows like, no, 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 they're supposed to come back to City Terrace. So we could be fearful because we don't know when we're going to die, but we could rest like, okay, God knows. If he knows we're going to come back, we're going to come back no matter what happens to us or <laughs> we get bit by a snake. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we could rest in that. We should never fear and know that God's timing is perfect. Um, even if we do leave our families behind, whatever it is, as we've been studying Revelation, it says the prayers of the saints, um, and th- they're around the throne of God as incense. So even after we die, I just keep thinking of Pastor Jesse, like the prayers are still here. He could be in heaven, but all the prayers he prayed, because we know it's in God's timing, they're still going to be fulfilled. So yeah, we could rest in that. God's going to take care of our families. So, and that, let us pray until we get to our next se- segment, whoever wants to stay. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you again, Lord, for tonight, Lord God. I just pray for all the ladies, Lord God, and just their faithfulness, Lord God, and coming and just hearing your word, Lord God. We know that it's it's not us, Lord, but it's just our desire to seek you, Lord God. And I pray that you just continue giving us that hunger, Lord, and um, sharing, sharing you with others, Lord, and but most importantly, praying for them because our words are not going to convince them. I saw a quote also that reminded me. We can't argue somebody into heaven because somebody could argue them out of heaven. But we know it's your spirit, Lord. And we have to be faithful like Paul to just present the gospel and give a defense, as Peter said, to give a defense for the hope that is in us. But we know that you do the rest, Lord. And I pray that you would just use our lives mightily, Lord. May you just give us boldness, Lord, and not be fearful, Lord, and and just Look after the, for the souls of people, Lord, and not, not judge them, Lord God. As we see so many things in culture today, we want to get angry, Lord, but I pray that you just um, move us with compassion as you, Jesus, were moved for compassion for the multitude that were with the sheep without a shepherd, Lord. They're being harassed by the enemy, Lord, as wolves harass the flock of sheep, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that um, you just get us home safely, Lord, and that you just be with us in this next segment, Lord God, as we quickly over some things, Lord, and we just thank you again. Your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 